Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, and Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's still Christmas. Uh, didn't sound too enthusiastic, though. All right. Merry Christmas. That's right. We're still celebrating Christmas, and next Sunday, we move on into Epiphany. The light bulb goes off. We've got a whole cool series coming up next Sunday, uh, but we're still in the season of Christmas, and I hope Christmas was good for you, but most importantly, I hope that you experience the gift of God's grace, that Jesus Christ uh, is born for you. That's the message of Christmas. Now, sometimes uh, we don't get what we expect for Christmas, right? And that can go both ways. We can get, it can go good or bad, right? We can get more than we expected or we can get less than we expected. And I'm not just talking about gifts. I'm talking about people and circumstances and maybe the way it feels. Sometimes it goes better than expected. Sometimes we meet someone new or sometimes a relationship is healed. And sometimes the ham tastes better than you planned, right? Sometimes it gets burned, right? It tastes gross. Sometimes everyone's sick and you got to go to Panda Express and get takeout for Christmas dinner. That happens sometimes, right? Sometimes you receive an emergency notification about a tornado on your phone, all right? <laughs> Anybody get that too? Am I the only one? All right, I, for a moment there, I was freaked out, thought I was living back in Nebraska or St. Louis again. I almost got the whole family up and got down into the bomb shelter, and then I was like, wait a minute, I've lived most of my life in Southern California, in the city of Orange, there is not going to be a tornado, and uh, I think I was right, unless, did it hit down somewhere? I didn't experience it. There's just a lot of rain, right? Sometimes you don't get it. I didn't expect it, though. Did anybody else expect that? Have you ever heard of a tornado warning in Southern California in orange? Come on. All right. Maybe once. Okay. What's that? Why was I up that late? Why was I up that late? I'm a night owl, all right? Who else is a night owl? All right. Thank you. All right. So was Dwight Eisenhower. He was successful, too. Okay. All right. I've done my research on this. Okay. But on a more serious note, and I was just talking to uh, one of our... Uh, elders, our leaders here this morning, one of our uh, own faithful Walker Hall members, uh, who you may know, Bob Rossi, um, he went to be with Jesus on Christmas Day, and uh, he received the best Christmas gift ever. He is with Jesus in paradise, but his family and his friends, well, when you think of Christmas, that's just not what you expect, right? It's not what you expect, and so they're grieving, and they're hurting, and they're walking through Christmas in a different way, different than they ever would have expected it. <clears throat> and I guess when I read our gospel reading, it's printed in the bulletin there for you, uh, it wasn't what I expected either, right? It doesn't feel too Christmassy. If you look at our gospel reading, Matthew chapter 2, it's filled with some tough stuff. It's filled with corrupt governments and governmental leaders. It's filled with a fanatical leader trying to actually kill uh, baby Jesus, it's filled with infanticide, slaughter of the innocents. Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus. They flee in the middle of the night. They become refugees in a foreign land, Egypt. They have to live in this foreign land away from home. There's a prophecy of Rachel weeping for her children, and she says, I'm not going to be comforted. Doesn't feel like Christmas. But let me read it. Let me see if we can redeem it a little bit. Take it a little bit to a deeper level, and maybe it speaks to our heart in a new way. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says, When they, the Magi, had gone, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. 
for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said to the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. It's not the reading I expected to be talking about after Christmas. And there's some pretty shocking and horrific stuff in there if you really look at it. But the more I looked at it and the more I spent time with that text, and we could talk about all of those things, but there were some other things that I saw that I didn't expect in a good way. Prophecies that are hundreds of years old being fulfilled in that text. Some powerful truths, if you really think about about Jesus going down to Egypt where Israel had been enslaved and Jesus coming back to the promised land to truly deliver all people. It's powerful stuff in there. And then as I was thinking of this text, I began to think of this picture on my office wall here at St. John's. Uh, Throw that picture up. My wife gave this picture to me many years ago, and I look at it every day, and I just love it. And people, when they come into my office, not many people can guess who it is. When I ask them, most people think, okay, it's Abraham, I think. And then some people say it's Simeon. But the title of this piece of art is St. Joseph and the Infant Christ. And it's unique because you usually only see Mary, Right? With baby Jesus and all the works of art that are depicted during this time of the year, it's very rare that you see Joseph with baby Jesus. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and his brother James, and then on Christmas Eve, we talked a lot about Mary and baby Jesus. And so as I looked at this text again, and let's bring that image back up, I saw Joseph and his love for Jesus. And I love the way the artist here depicts Joseph's gaze upon baby Jesus. I think perhaps we can learn a bit from Joseph today. If you saw in our text, it's quite a bit about Joseph. And it reminded me of an article that I read, and perhaps I've mentioned it to you before. It was written by a professor named Walt Wangren. He's an emeritus out of Valparaiso University. And he tells a story of his adopted daughter, Talitha. And Walt and his wife, they have biological children and they have adopted children. And I just want to read what he wrote in this article. It was powerful. He says, often we sat at supper, and I would look across the table at Talitha, and I would seek in her features the faces of her birth parents. They seemed always to hover ghostly behind her. 
Her father, I knew, was African-American, her mother, white. And because Talitha, who has been our daughter since the eighth month of her life, was growing older among us, so were the presences of these two anonymous souls. But they were the blank part, the root of this child still deep in the soil. Talitha's birth parents had made her in their image, and I sought those images in her. Would I recognize either one if I met them on the street? How much is our daughter's ours after all, and how much theirs? The man and the woman were ghosts in the family, not because they didn't exist, but because they were not known. It's a great article Walt writes about, and his story gets you thinking a little bit about Joseph. Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. How Joseph treats Jesus is actually quite important for all people who interact with children. As parents, it's important whether you're biological or adopted parents. As members of St. John's, it's important where a large part of our ministry is to children and to their families through our family ministry and through our schools and through our foster ministry and through our safe families ministry. The message is important to us because we can learn from Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. He obeyed the word of God, whether it was written in the scriptures or where it came directly to him in dreams by angels. He was obedient, and his obedience, it made a marriage where there could have been a divorce. His obedience saved Jesus' life from the hatred of Herod and the infanticide. His obedience took Jesus down to Egypt where there was safety to flee the danger. His obedience led Jesus back to Nazareth. In fact, the more you look at Joseph, the more you see in him silent strength. In fact, in the story of Jesus' birth, you read through the story, kings, priests, scribes, relatives, neighbors, all of them speak, all of them say something, yet not one word is spoken by Joseph. Not one word is recorded. He doesn't talk. He obeys. He acts. He serves. He does. He he tempered righteousness with compassion. Right Before the angel came to him, he had in mind to divorce Mary, but he was going to do it quietly because he loved her. But after the angel came, he took Mary in, and they went down to Bethlehem, and they enrolled there, and the child was born there. And in Jesus' face, he would never see his own. Yet Joseph kindly, righteously, obediently adopted Jesus. In some traditions, Joseph is the patron saint of fathers. But in many ways, he's a model for every parent, every grandparent, every aunt, every uncle, every godparent, every foster parent, everyone who ministers to children. And that's all of us here at St. John's. If you're a member here at St. John's, we all minister to children. Walt Wangren, that professor, he was reflecting on his adopted children. He was reflecting on Joseph. He said, Joseph models for us faith and obedience, compassion, and release. See, for Joseph, Jesus was only his for a little while. And for all parents, children are only ours for a little while. As a church, all the children entrusted to our care are only with us for a little while as children. Walt, he tells about the time when he and his wife were picking up their daughter, their adopted daughter, Talitha, from her first year in college. They were driving back home, and she said, I want to stop in Freeville. It's the town where she was born. Walt asked her why, and she said, I want to find my birth parents. He said, it felt like I were a ghost. 
My fatherhood sort of vanished. My daughter was peering through me. She was seeking the features of her birth parents. She desired them, and in them she sought her identity and self. And he began to wonder, what should I do? What words should I obey? Should I obey Talitha's request, or should I obey my own sort of conflicted, maybe selfish thoughts as a father? Or is there some deeper word of God? Did something like that happen for Joseph? Did he ever sit at the Passover meal and look over at his son and see no features of his own? Someone else lived in his son's face. Another source guided his son's behavior. His son was different, in some ways a stranger to Joseph, in some ways a ghost in the household. Uh, Professor Wengren, he writes and he continues to write about his own experience as a parent because he has both biological children and adopted children and he said that from his perspective there were some differences and I kind of understood what he said at least as a biological parent right I have children and I see things right I'm like oh yeah I know why they did that that's because that's what I would do right you see your own biological imprint But Walt talks about his adopted children and says there is something on the part of the parent that has to be more intentional. You must seek to know them a bit little more. You must be more deliberate. You must learn her language and how she was created to be. And it made me think, did Joseph act in the same way? Was he more conscious, more intentional, more deliberate than he was with his own biological children, the siblings of Jesus? Did he more patiently search his son, Jesus? to know the character of this stranger placed into his care. Now, we know that Joseph understood his duty to raise the boy Jesus because the word of God says that. And it was spoken to him by the angels. And the Old Testament scriptures required every father to be faithful and to be a righteous man. Joseph had this authority from God. And in that authority he was given, he was obedient and faithful to it. And we see in Joseph, everyone who ministers to children should sort of Take a moment to stand in his presence, in his shadow. This common, quiet, righteous man who lived a life of faith, obedience, compassion, and release. You see, there, there comes a point in parenting, right, when your role as a parent starts to diminish because the child is seeking their identity somewhere else than you. You see, in Jesus' day, between the ages of 12 and 13, a father would teach his son duties and regulations that he would assume. It was kind of like our time when you turn 18, it's sort of a coming of age and you become an adult. And we know from the gospel of the Luke that when Jesus was 12 years old, Joseph and Mary, they took him down to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And they left at the end of the celebration to go back to the hometown. And Mary and Joseph thought Jesus was just hanging out and traveling with the crowd. And all of a sudden, they realize, well, wait, where's Jesus? So Mary and Joseph, they rush back to Jerusalem. After three days of looking, they find their son in the temple. He's amazing, even the religious leaders with his wisdom. It makes you wonder, did Joseph start to realize then how much he didn't know of his son? The first two days, they didn't find him in the temple, but they finally did. And when they found him, Mary speaks. We've been worried about you, Jesus. But Joseph, his adoptive father, was quiet. Jesus was peering through his parents to see his real father. He said these words, Luke 2.49. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know 
I had to be in my father's house. How did that make Joseph feel? Did Joseph even understand what it meant? The depth, actually, of Joseph's response, when you actually think about it, it deserves to be considered, maybe embraced and emulated and celebrated. We don't know how Joseph felt, but we know what he did. He didn't say anything, but we know what he did. Faith, obedience, and compassion come together. Joseph obeyed in faith and in compassion. And whose word did he obey? He didn't obey his own word. He didn't obey perhaps a wounded heart or a pride or wounded self-pity. He continued as before, as he'd done year after year, to be the father of this boy, Jesus, taking him home to Nazareth, obeying God's word to him. Joseph probably didn't understand Jesus' words intellectually like we do, looking back on it and what Jesus would accomplish on the cross and the resurrection and the promise to come again. He couldn't understand that. He was ignorant in that way, yet he obeyed the message that the angel had given him 13 years before, and year after year after year after year for 13 years and more, he took care of Jesus. And he didn't know the big picture. He didn't understand it completely. He just knew what the angel had told him and the word of God had said to him. And when we see that in Joseph, we learn that obedience is possible even when we don't know what God is doing. Mature faith obeys God without having all the answers. So Joseph serves as a model. He, he didn't crave to be his child's first love or his child's praise or his child's honor. He was a great parent because he did not do it for his own glory but to the glory of God. And so this plain man accomplished a task of terrible glory. He raised a child who was born in the image of God. But here's the, the kicker on it. Does any parent... Any guardian have a different task. Every guardian, every parent raises a child born in the image of God. Joseph released Jesus into that image. Joseph led his son out of the house into adulthood, into the purpose for which he was born. Joseph released him to the righteousness of his greater ministry. Professor Walt Wangren and his wife, they realized this deep desire within their daughter to know the truth about her birth parents, and they chose the way of Joseph. They chose to parent in humility, allowing their daughter a self-discovery beyond themselves. Walt and his wife, they wondered, the closer that she gets to her birth parents, would she move farther and farther away from us? But they didn't know. But in humility, they obeyed like Joseph. They sought the wholeness of their child, like Joseph, so that she would know the image by which she was created and perhaps a purpose for her future. If they would have held on to her too tight, they would have stifled her, and they actually would have worshipped themselves. Imagine if Joseph would have smothered Jesus with his own sin and his own selfish pursuits and his own insecurities. Professor Walt Talks about his daughter, Talitha. She continued her quest and by chance found her birth mom. Her, her name is Mary. She found her in Texas. She called her on the phone one morning. She answered after a long pause. After a long pause, her birth mother, Mary, said, I always knew you would call. 
Talitha met her birth mom, Mary, met her birth father, Carter, and all the families, they have become friends. Now this Talitha has a deeper knowledge of who she is, knows her history, knows her heritage, who God has called her to be. Walt and his wife are glad. They see in their daughter's face the image of all her parents, her adopted parents, her biological parents, but most importantly, they see in her the image of the Almighty God, her true heavenly Father. My friends, with Jesus, it had to have been similar, but way more complete, fuller. The image in Jesus was more complete. In him, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Joseph, in his plain, faithful obedience, was granted to see in his son, Emmanuel, God with us. And even though he didn't completely understand, he obeyed. Three times, we read it in our gospel reading. Three times, Joseph was told to do something in a dream by God. Three times, he obeys. Three times, Jesus is referred to as the child and his mother. Never is he called Joseph's son. In verse 15, he's called God's son. That would have given most men sort of an identity crisis, right? I'm this guy's dad. But it was okay with Joseph because it wasn't about him. It's about God and his work in the world. A work that Joseph risked everything to be a part of. His status, his standing, his reputation. And he risked everything for this work. He risked everything to protect it. Joseph knew that promise of the angel. And he released his boy, the son of God, to be the savior of all. In every child's face is the image of the creator. And when we love children as Joseph did, in faith, in obedience, in compassion, and when we release them into their identity as God's child, not ours, then they truly find the face of God. They find their true selves. They find their identity as his children. And when they cry out, my father, when they cry out, our father who art in heaven, we hear his voice saying, I always knew you would call.